Welcome everyone to another episode of Pins of Politics with Mr. Watson. I am most certainly your host, as always, eternally and forever, Christian Watson. It is so awesome to be with you today on this Friday. You guys are at the end of the week. Congratulations. Sometimes it is a very arduous and long struggle, a very long day, a very tiresome, tiresome period of time from Monday to Thursday. But once you get to Friday, it fills, at least in my personal experience, I cannot speak in universalities, but it fills to me as if you can just breathe and let it be known that you have accomplished something. Let it be known that you have made it through your productive week, which I hope is a productive week. So we've got a few topics to talk about today. I'm going to keep it a little bit lighter today because again, it's Friday. And for my Friday episodes, I like to be a little bit more uh, not flim- uh, whimsical, but I don't want to bring a lot of heavy, sort of drawn-out stuff towards you. Because I understand that on Friday, well, a lot of people are trying to relax, they're trying to enjoy themselves, and I want to give you a show that allows you to enjoy yourself, but enjoy yourself while still engaging your mind. That is what's important. It is very important not to slip into complacency, even when you are vacationing. Your mind is like a muscle. You can leave a muscle alone for a day or two, but it has to keep going. It has to keep being flexed for it to grow and have the nutrients that it needs to continue to grow. Uh, but we're talking about, this is very interesting, we're talking about this notion that billionaires' wealth growing during the pandemic is a bad thing. It is a negative thing. It has somehow hurt people. Uh, <laughs> this notion, and this was a big story out today, that U.S. billionaires' wealth grew by about $845 billion. This is a story out at a Business Insider. And this is being extrapolated to mean, oh, well, during the pandemic, lots of people lost their jobs, there was economic calamity, but these people got richer, therefore they're exploiting people, which is absolute nonsense, and I'm going to explain why it's nonsense. And you actually should be happy their wealth grew, because their wealth grew by helping you. <laughs> Just in short. That's that. We'll also be discussing, and I didn't really want to talk about this, we will be discussing this entire anti-mask movement because there was an anti-mask sort of march through Florida. Now the internet's going crazy and comparing people who don't want to be forced to wear a face covering to wanting to kill people. In fact, I just made a YouTube video about not wanting to be forced to wear a face covering. And that makes, apparently that makes me anti-mask, makes me anti-life all kind of things, all kind of sort of pretentious language used to browbeat people into accepting a set of presuppositions that absolutely make no sense, especially, especially when paired with scrutiny. So we're going to talk about those two things. And we're also going to talk about the election. A lot of folks, there's a lot of alarmism going on about this election. A lot of alarmism on, on both sides. Folks are saying that the ballots won't get there in time or the ballots won't be counted enough or it'll be, it'll be, it'll be months before we actually get a result. All of this stuff is taking away from the important part of the season. Because this is not a season to panic. This is a season to understand, to gain sort of knowledge about what's going on and what's going on and what is going on in the country and how presidential politics relates to that. So we'll be talking about all that and more today on this episode of the Pensive Politics Podcast here with Christian Watson. All right, guys. So, Business Insider came out today and said $845 billion was the dreaded figure by which the wealth of the country's top billionaires, Bezos, Musk, Gates, increased during the pandemic. Now, a lot of folks have already came out and they've said, 
oh dear, these people have gotten richer while everyone's suffering. And so when you phrase this occurrence in those terms, it certainly seems like these billionaires have prospered on the backs of the suffering of Americans, of some sort of a some sort of sadistic quality here. So that's what people who are proponents of this idea would have you believe. Uh, but what they don't necessarily get to are the reasons why their wealth increased. So billionaires do not exist in a vacuum, my friends. <laughs> they don't exist in a vacuum. Billionaires or any wealth creator, they exist primarily primarily to create value for you. How do you think they're billionaires? Their money just didn't pop out of thin air. Their money was actually derived from a source. It was derived from practice. In a capitalistic society, or a, I would say pseudo-capitalistic, America is not truly capitalist. We're the, we are perhaps the closest to capitalism that we have on, on earth, but we are not truly free market. I wish we were. I wish we would get rid of all the regulations and let's let people trade and create services and exchange amongst themselves without the government nannying us into arbitrary qualifications of fairness and all this other stuff that absolutely has nothing to do with the micro-interactions that make up the capitalist system as we understand it in theory. But, but still, in a near-capitalist system, what you have is you have people creating value and other people giving folks money, a reward, or some other kind of benefit for creating value. When you have that not when you have that symbiotic relationship going on, you understand that wealth and the influence of that wealth is not necessarily lopsided. It's not concentrated on one side of the of, of the park, of the, of the line. Wealth is nothing more then the quantity, get this, of you in a capitalist society, of an individual having pleased someone else by providing value to their life. Wealth is the manifestation of value providence. That is all wealth is, my friends. It is the manifestation of value providence. Well, I, can, I, I hear the retorts already. Well, what if you inherited wealth? Okay, well, that wealth you inherited was probably the manifestation of, of value providence too. Even if your acquisition of the wealth did not occur in that manner, you're still inheriting the product of value acquisition. So if you buy a apple at the grocery store, you're still inheriting the product of someone who cultivated that apple and grew that apple and, and shipped that off off to the grocery store so it could be bought there. It's just the same thing. It's just down a longer, a, lo a longer sort of chain of custody. That's the thing. And so when you get that, when you understand that, the idea of these people accruing wealth becomes much less menacing and actually becomes humbling. The American economy lost over a trillion dollars over the course of this plague. It just wrecked everything. Well, the plague, actually, the plague didn't do, the plague did something, but it didn't do as much as our reaction to it did. Shutting down the economy Calcifying economic interactions to be virtual or online and not, not physical, which therefore destroyed thousands of mom-and-pop businesses across the country, devastated rural America, and set the stock market into a downward spiral, which it is recovering from, thankfully, over the past few weeks. But still, that does not bode well for economic progress.
Especially when the uh, when when the result when the sort of the cause of those calamities were not natural market failures, were not natural market decisions that had bad consequences. No, the cause of those calamities were nothing more than governmental edicts meant for our own good. My one of my mentors, Dr. James Harrigan, always says, and I. I First Peter Saul, he always says that un good intentions oftentimes unintended consequences. And I'm 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 paraphrasing him, of course. I hope I'm not butchering that, Dr. Harrigan, if you're listening to this. He always says that. And that is a very important concept to understand. Because no matter what you think might be good for people. No matter what you think might be good for people, and no matter the intention behind an action, we do exist in an objective reality, my friends. We do exist in a world that is not predicated upon our individual subjective desires, but is predicated upon constants, upon rules, upon laws of nature, upon laws of economics, upon laws of physics, upon all kind of things that govern the spaces our interactions occur in, and, and also the science of our interactions, i.e. economics. We exist in those worlds, and so we must adhere, understand, we must adhere to that. We must not go against those natural laws. We must understand them. We must use them for the value production and the benefit of, of, of you know, those who produce value for you. The benefit of, of your family. The benefit of you even. I don't believe in living for anyone else but yourself unless those people are tailored towards you. Right? And so, and this is the sort of ethic of Christianity. You're supposed to at first seek ye first the kingdom of God. That's what the Bible says if you're a Christian. Um, if you're not a Christian, Taoism. Taoism is about releasing your opinions, your preconceptions, and letting everything just flow through you. Understanding the Tao through sacrifice of your preconceptions, through sacrifice of your sort of material aims. Sort of reverence to Allah, you know, reverence to God uh, to, uh, to, in, in Islam, reverence to God in Judaism. So if you, you doesn't have to be a Christian to appreciate this concept. You are the you are the first line of any action, the first benefactor, the first recipient of any action you do. And therefore, your actions should benefit you ultimately, and they should also help those who are close to you. That's what I believe. I think that's consistent with everything else I've said on this program. <laughs> and so, ultimately, this idea that these billionaires are somehow hurting us because they're making some sort of, because they're making money. No. no, 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 no. The fact that we have these crippling shutdowns, which took a lot of money, a lot of wealth out of the American economy and just, and, and they followed the sort of Krugman broken windows theory that, Hey, okay. Well, th 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 this, these things are destroyed. Now the economy is destroyed. Let's just like throw more money at the economy to stimulate spending. That's what Krugman said during hurricane. He said he said hurricanes are good for the economy because people will immediately after the hurricane subsides go out and buy things. That's great, but what happens with the with everything that was destroyed? Where's the opportunity cost? They could have bought more if a hurricane hadn't happened. The economy could have grown more if the pandemic hadn't happened, Mr. Krugman. Anyway, anyway, he 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 just drives me up a wall. 
So that's one thing. You have to understand that you you are reaping the benefits of these individuals' wealth getting higher. Walmart, to just today, announced they are raising wages. We are still in the middle of the pandemic. There are some places that have not opened up yet. Mass mandates abound. We are not out of the woods yet, according to the, the state, the government. Although I think I think we the, the, they, are, they let us into the woods in the first place, if you ask me. <laughs> they let us straight into the woods in the first place. If you ask me, if you want my personal opinion, they let us straight into the woods, into the, into the wolves. I mean, if we, if we had responded to this pandemic with a prudent and sound mind, a lot of the ills that we're facing right now would not be so catastrophic. But anyway, we're not out of the woods yet. And the fact that there are still people who are able to produce and make this wealth and, the, and, and bring forth the fruits of wealth for each and every one of us to reap from, to take from, that's wonderful. That's a blessing. That is allowing millions of families to eat, to subsist upon those resources that they are bequeathed by those people who are so wealthy, that are so evil, that many people think they're so evil. So be happy that these billionaires are getting richer. That's number one. Right? I guess that's number two as well. Be happy that there are people that are doing well. Also, there's an, there's an envy issue. I'm just going to say it straight. There's an envy issue in this country and everywhere, really. Folks say that envy is part of human nature. I, I disagree. Human nature's base instinct is to survive. But we, especially here in America, have transcended that base human instinct of mere survival. We've gone beyond that. We're sur- we, we want to survive, but we also want to thrive. So at the very base of human nature is nothing more than the, the, the desire, the want of survival. So you got to get that. You, can, you need to stop trying to justify bad behaviors and toxic mindsets by making a fallacious argument from nature, which simply says it is natural, therefore it is correct, which is logically fallacious. Something can be natural all you want, but it can still be morally wrong. In the animal kingdom, among spiders, it is natural for a mother to eat her young. That does not make it correct. The quality of naturalness does not make an action correct. So stop saying that bad behavior is a result of nature. Because even if it is, it's still wrong. So that's... (laughs) lazy excuse to be as sloppy as possible to dare suggest that bad behavior is a result of things that go beyond you. You have free will, my brothers and sisters. You have the ability to proceed forth into this set world and rearrange certain things and create a brilliant life for yourself. Stop being lazy and stop being envious. You do not lose because Elon Musk has billions of dollars. You do not lose because Jeff Bezos has a sprawling media and retail empire. You do not lose because Bill Gates, who is also helping to develop a vaccine and he's also giving a lot of insights, wrong or whatever, wrong or correct. I'm not getting into that. 
about the coronavirus is you do not lose because he is doing well. You do not lose. You, do, you have to stop viewing the world in the zero-sum game. But a lot of folks simply think, if I don't have it and they do have it, I am missing something of value in my life. And therefore, my path in this world, my walk with destiny is being obstructed, it's being mismanaged, it's being corrupted by the fact that they have more than me and I have less than them. It is the difference between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. Psychologists of old will tell you this. If you have a fixed mindset, it is very hard for you to adapt to certain tasks, to rise to new challenges, to persist beyond your current condition. But if you have a growth mindset, not only is it easy, it is both intuitive and enjoyable for you to understand that the world is constantly in flux, that the world is constantly changing, and that your condition as a, as a, as a person in society does not have to remain the same. Your condition as a person of society does not have to remain shackled to the to, to the to the rocks and the barriers of mediocrity. Your condition is predicated upon you, my friends. You have to understand that. You have to believe that. You have to take that and you have to apply it to your life. Because if you do not, you will continue to blame other people for your mistakes and for your shortcomings for the rest of your existence. And that is no way to live. That is no way to live, and it also obscures you from seeing the truth. And the truth is, these billionaires that are so maligned and denigrated are actually helping all of us survive this thing. From a practical standpoint, from a moral standpoint, they are producing value for you. And they're making your life easier. And from a purely, just a purely detached standpoint, there's nothing wrong with being rich. Provided those funds did not come from thievery or coercion, wealth is not a vice. In fact, all of us have wealth. I think we measure wealth in a very messed up way, in a very botched way these days. Wealth is seen as the amount of, I don't know, as the, the amount of what? Wealth is oftentimes seen as the amount of our net worth or whatever. And I guess in the terms of the financial industry and how a lot of us understand wealth in terms of numbers, I guess that's so. Wealth is a little bit more than just numbers, though, my friends. Wealth is also possession. There are a lot of people who are not necessarily all that wealthy in terms of the real numbers game of wealth. But in their possessions... They have so much of value that could produce value for someone else, which will in turn cause the real number sense of wealth to interact with their dormant sense of wealth and make them traditionally, conventionally wealthy. Just look at baseball cards, for goodness sakes. There are antique baseball cards that go for hundreds of thousands of dollars that make people millionaires. There are all kinds of things. This all, wealth is not this fixed quantity. Just because Jeff Bezos has billions of dollars does not mean you can't have billions of dollars one day. It's not fixed. It's not fixed. It's not con wealth is dynamic. It grows. It goes up. It goes down like a seesaw, like, like, like a roller coaster, like whatever, whatever simple mechanism you want to explain wealth through. Wealth 
is a dynamic quantity. Therefore, attempting to measure it in definite terms, in undynamic static terms, defeats the idea in the concept of wealth. And this is the problem that a lot of... Even, even conventional ideas of wealth recognize how dynamic wealth is. Really. It's a simple matter of fact. It is a simple matter of fact, and I do not understand why it is so hard for us to try to get that. It is a simple matter of fact, truly, that wealth is a dynamic quantity. But no, if Jeff Bezos dare to have a, a, a certain amount of money, that's a negative thing. Because, oh, he's rich, and, and we're all poor. Or that's, that's how it goes. That's how it goes. St stop using your current station in life to tear down someone else's. It simply reeks of envy. And it's also a disgrace to the to the brilliant, great person that you can be. These are not just platitudes. I genuinely believe that every individual on this earth has the capacity to be great. Greatness is, 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 is something that's strived for. It doesn't come out of the womb, my friends. Greatness is strived for. And I believe that everyone on this earth can be great if they so want to, if they so choose to. But the problem is our greatness is oftentimes eclipsed by our underestimation of ourselves. The biggest enemy that you ever have is you, my friends. Christian, this is a politics podcast. Why are you giving me self-help advice? Because guess what? A lot of pol politics is the outgrowth of, of low self-esteem. A lot of politics is the outgrowth of a low self-esteem. That's what it is. And I'll be honest. I myself have struggled with self-esteem issues. Absolutely. And that's okay. The point is you have to be willing to confront that. You have to be willing to talk about that. And you have to confine those low self-esteem issues away from interacting with your broader life. <coughs> That's my point. And so I, I, the reason I'm doing an entire segment on this is because it's just, it's a tired line. Oh, 10, 10% control, 90% of the wealth in the country. Da, 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 da. It's a tired line that, that that is based on misunderstood ideas of what wealth is, that is based on envy, that is based on a lot of things that we don't really have any business needing. Any business needy. It doesn't help us. It doesn't help you become your higher self. It simply regresses your ability. It, it retrogrades your ability to think about these things in a dynamic way. This is not the mind of Magellan, of Marco Polo, of Gutenberg, of Salvinaro, one of the Protestant, you know, one of the, one of the Protestant revolutionaries. Of Zwingli, another Protestant revolutionary over in Switzerland, over in Switzerland. Of Winston Churchill, of Margaret Thatcher. These are. This is not the mind of them. This is the mind of an envious person, an envious being. And you owe yourself better than to be envious. All right, <coughs> coming up on time for the first segment to end. Thank you guys so much for listening, guys. Again, subscribe on uh to on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Christian Watson, Pensa Politics for the other three. Uh, my Twitter. Instagram, Facebook, all at Official C. Watson. All right, guys, I'm going to see you a little bit soon. Thank you so much for listening to Pentapolitics on the Fed by Ravens Radio Network. Be back.
Welcome back, everyone, to segment two of the Pensive Politics Program here on the Fed by Ravens Network and on all of our other services, Spotify, Apple Podcast, YouTube, so on and so forth. Thank you guys so, 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 so much for watching, for tuning in. I hope that the news that you heard was good. hope that everything is going good for you in your life. hope that you enjoyed our first segment, and I hope that the segment will be just as fruitful for you and your growth as the first segment was, if it indeed was. So, the presidential elections, so what are we talking about? And how these elections are sort of consistently shaping how Americans see America. How we as Americans see America. Or I suppose we as individual Americans see America. And implicit in that question requires some deep introspection here. Because the elections do a few things. They have a few effects on us. A, presidential elections tend to cause us to reduce ideology to party. We take the abstract and we convert it into the physical. And then we use the physical as the sole definition of the abstract. It's like, for example, taking the idea of conservatism and converting whatever you think conservatism is to coincide with whatever the Republican Party is doing at that point in time. And therefore, whenever you think of conservatism, you see not the tenets of the ideology, not the works of Russell Kirk or Roger Scruton, not the adherence in the compulsion to preserve traditions or to preserve things that have came before uh, you that are deemed important for the order, sort of intellectual order of society. You don't see any of that. What you are going to see, you are going to see the Republican Party. You're going to see whoever is in control of that party in that particular moment. That's a That's a problem. That's a problem, my friends, because it allows us to do a few things. Number one, it promotes us to be intellectually sluggish. When you think of conservatism or liberalism as being merely representative of a particular party or a particular set of individuals in a party or a particular set of individuals outside of a party, when you reduce ideas to people who profess to believe them, you are misunderstanding the true nature of those ideas. <laughs> because the true nature of an idea is not who believes it. It is what the idea is. If I, if I believe that nonviolence, this is just an example, that nonviolence is the only ethical mode of conflict resolution, then someone who professes that same belief, goes out and socks someone in the face. <laughs> Are you going to say that that person who proclaimed to be a pacifist, you're going to say that their actions are indicative of the idea of all nonviolent people. Oh, that pacifist just socked someone in the face. 
How are these nonviolent people even nonviolent? How they they're, they're not doing? It's the same principle. And this is the problem of partisanship, because we know because partisanship compels us not to look at the deeper ideas of these things. Partisanship compels us to look to what is it? Sort of. There's a particular phenomenon I'm talking about here. It, partisanship compels us to look to what is both prodigious, plentiful, and also expeditious to whatever political means, whatever political aims we have at that particular time. So if it is expeditious, if it is expeditious for a conservative or a Republican to phrase everything they don't like as whatever negative quality they may phrase it, regardless of if it actually is a negative quality, then boom. That is what will win in this sort of game of political fighting. That's what will win. But, the, but this thing is... This sort of reductionism, the idea of reducing ideas to parties and then pretending like those ideas are parties themselves and not paying attention to the actual ideas, does not necessarily come entirely from the election cycle. The election cycle has a big part to do with it. We have a let this happen, my friends. We have allowed this reality to take root and manifest its terrors. It's horrors before us and affect our country in such a, a baleful way. We have allowed these things to happen because we have given in to the aspects of the system that promote this. So when I say there is a system and there are people who interact with the system that implies that both are separate and therefore they need not rely and require each other to exist. That's what that implies. That's what that implies. But if you take the modern political worldview that the system is the only way individuals can achieve anything in the world, Anything substantial in the world that has to do with a major issue that may be uh, of great ethical or moral importance to them, whether for them it's being the right, being right to life or anti-death penalty or, you know, conservatism, environmentalism or pro-gun or whatever, whatever the cause may be, whatever the cause may be, it, whatever the cause may be, it's just, it's sort of encapsulates that thing it encapsulates what the individual is desiring at that point in time and it conflates that desire with the entire system right because these ideas have inherently became political before a certain period in our in American history, my friends, the idea that you could own a gun to defend yourself, to defend your homestead, defend your family, 
not only was it not a controversial issue, it was a, a well-maintained, accepted, almost self-evident right that Americans were not only allowed to, to practice, they were expected to practice them for a very long time. Then, but then, of course, the I, the definition of governments, of roles and abilities, expanded. And when the definitions of a government's roles and abilities expand, what happens? Things that were once held sacrosanct are defiled. The sacred right to defend yourself, which is directly linked to your right to life, is defiled. When people who have political interests against your right to defend yourself or who think you're not defending yourself properly, are able to use the bludgeons of the government and cleave you into obedience. That is the true issue here. But so what they do is, this mindset pretends that you cannot exercise these things that are important to you or affect these things that are important to you, again, no matter what it might be, without the assistance of a government. Even though you are not the system and the system is not you, although the system is just people, by the way, it's not this this grand factory full of a, a, a bunch of cogs being manufactured by some grand master, some grand designer who is using these cogs to institute his will across the globe. No, that's not what the, when we think of the system, we're thinking, oh, this nefarious building or these nefarious buildings that control sector society. The system is simply people who have gotten a little bit of education, who have managed to, to, to seize the levers of power in the government and use those levers of power to direct whatever they're directing in that particular point in time. And a lot of them, the sort of elites, have convinced you or are trying to convince you that you cannot change the world or you cannot affect or impact change without their assistance. And to that incorrect and vile assertion, I say, don't believe it. To that incorrect and vile assertion, I say, embrace the label of Americanism that is upon your name, that is upon your being, and understand that your ancestors valued self-determinism as an inviolable, meaning absolute, right as a right that no one has the ability, the legitimate ability or authority to squash and take that spirit of self-reliance and self-determination and use it to continue to impact the world without using an entity that so desperately all the time quashes your self-determination, quashes your self-reliance. The government has been the biggest killer of innovation, of human progress, of creativity than any other force in the world. It has been the government because the government always masquerades under the auspices of benevolence. The government always pretends as if it is helping you or whatever it's doing, even if what it is doing is detrimental to you, is being done because of the greater good. And people who can fool you into thinking they are great and that they are beneficial to you can cause you to do anything. 
people who can see it's not the people who come out and say I'm a scary person or I am a mean person or I mean to do harm to you or they show it through their actions those people are not what you need to be concerned about you need to be concerned about the people who have the audacity to cloak themselves beneath the veneer of charitability and make themselves seem oh so kind but in all reality they're thieving snakes I personally do not vote all the time, or I don't like to vote. And a lot of people recoil when I say that. A lot of people say, and I've had I've had professors I've had professors say this to me, all kind of folks. I have had people on my campus who are doing sort of mobilized thing to get out the vote say this to me. I've had election volunteers of many different campaigns um, say this to me. I was actually, I got into an argument when I was in Iowa with one of Pete Buttigieg's staffers. Right as Pete was just like a few feet away from us shaking hands, I got into an argument about him, or argument about Mr. Buttigieg's ideas, and that he fundamentally misunderstood freedom, and that he just didn't necessarily get the, the, the get, get what America was truly meant to be about. And when he was like, well, why don't you just vote for someone else? I'm like, that, well, that's not going to change anything. That's not... But that, that is not the method in which I'm going to impact change by using a system that itself is so antithetical and anathema to change. <laughs> That's just not what's going to happen. That's not how it's going to happen either. And any honest person can tell you that. Any honest person can tell you that just as the wills of justice, as the old adage says, churn slowly, the wills of change, well, if they... They don't churn at all because they haven't been oiled in eons. <laughs> haven't been oiled in eons. <laughs> Genuinely. <laughs> but I don't vote. I don't. Not just because I think that it's ineffective, which I, I largely do think it's ineffective. But I also... It seems very odd to me to want to use legislative bodies, the government, to impact the world when the government's not meant to impact the world, the government is simply meant in its very basic state to preserve your rights. That's it. Your right to, as the inevitable, immortal, illustrious John Locke said, life, liberty, and property. That's it. That's what the government is meant to do. Nothing more, <coughs> nothing, more nothing less. They're not meant to provide you education. They're not meant to provide you health care. They're, they're not meant to regulate commerce. They are meant to preserve your rights from those who would seek to take, take them. That's all they are meant to do. So why am I going to enable a practice which goes against what is correct in the attempt to establish what is correct? Why am I going to enable a practice that goes against what is morally correct in an attempt to establish moral correctness that is both paradoxical, oxymoronic, and stupid? And I don't know about you guys, but I am not going to endeavor in stupidity when it comes to my station, my mission on this earth. And I most certainly hope that you don't either.
because I happen to believe those of you who are hearing the sound of my voice reverberate off of your speaker and implant into your consciousness, I certainly hope that you understand that you are a brilliant human being who deserves more than to be told that your main way of ensuring that you can make a difference in this world is by going through a institution that is inherently indifferent to difference. Or and sometimes even hostile difference. I'm sure I'm sure many of you on the Fed by Ravens Network, many of you will probably appreciate this. I'm not sure if my, some of my more younger listeners, even though I'm 20 myself, although I'm an atypical 20-year-old. Uh, so, so I'm not sure some of my younger listeners will appreciate this, but uh, there is a movie called Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. And it's really about this crusading politician that just goes to Washington, D.C. with a mission to change the town, to change the corruption, restore it back to its original its original purpose, its greatness. And of course, he meets massive resistance. And ultimately, even though he makes a lot of speeches, change just didn't happen as it was supposed to or as much as he had hoped to. And any so-called uh, independent or maverick whether it was Ted Cruz protesting the Affordable Care Act by sitting, sitting on the Senate floor for upward of 20 hours. I actually, I watched that 2013. I was actually watching that on and off. Upwards of 20, upwards of 20 hours. Whether it's Rand Paul protesting the illegal, the illegal, illicit, and immoral Obama Jones strikes during that same time period as well. No matter who they are, they will tell you that it is very hard to be very to be different in Washington. Hey, Justin Amash will tell you that. Justin Amash said a few things that he wasn't supposed to say, uh, according to the political class in Washington, and they just raked him over the coals. They just absolutely devastated him. And and this is not necessarily an affirmation of everything he's ever said or done. I don't I don't know everything he's ever said or done. I don't have that. I'm not, I don't have access to that kind of knowledge, that kind of divine sort of length of knowledge. That's not, if you do, then please let me know. Because I, if you know what he, everything he said or done, he, he probably know a lot of things that could help me in my life that I've been wondering about for a very long time. So if you know that information, just let me know, please. <laughs> but you get my point, correct? My point is simply this. We have to stop letting the system, the electoral system, hoodwink us into believing it is the only way or the best way, or the most effective way, or the least stressful way, whatever beneficial adjective they want to append upon their monopoly, because the government truly is a monopoly, whatever they want to depend upon, it is time for us to say, no, you are not even meant to help us impact change. You are meant to preserve my right to go out and impact change in a peaceful, non-coercive way as my conscience sees fit according to those parameters. So forget about you, government. Forget about you trying to do change, government, because you have actually been, for a good majority of your history, actually for the entire, the both the, the length and the definition of your history, you have been the primary opponent of change. Forget about you. I'm going to go pursue my own pursuits. That, when you recognize that, when you embrace your power as an individual, that is when change will happen. Change will not happen by casting your ballot for a public card number this November. 
Just saying it. Regress can happen. I suppose. When I say change, I mean like upward progression. But I do suppose regress could happen. If Joe Biden gets into office, I'll just be honest with you. If Joe Biden gets into office, he will not last. Kamala Harris will take over eventually, sooner or later. Later, uh, if it's whether it's unlikely, more unlikely, whether it's through the end of his term, through a presidential run herself, if Biden just says, "You know what? I've been president for four years. I can't do it," or whether it's through Biden having a medical emergency, which God forbid that happens, but still, and getting or being too too sort of unrefined in his mind and his faculties to continue running the office. And so they invoke the Constitution to get rid of him and the vice president take over and the cabinet to take over. Regardless, Kamala Harris is going to get in. And that lady has advocated for the destruction of private health care. She has advocated for 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 mandatory mandatory masks. She has advocated like a, a mandatory mask mandate. She's advocated for complete and utter reaping of your right self-defense gun control. This lady has advocated for literally every anti-individualist, anti, uh, anti sort of life standard that you could think of politically. And so, yes, I guess your vote does matter to a certain extent. And a certain extent. But it doesn't change anything outside of the pre-existing structure. Everything I just mentioned is happening in the pre-existing structure. Gun control has been happening for years, ever since the, the Brady Bill in the 90s. It's been happening for years. <laughs> you know, mass mandates currently exist in our current political structure. It's happening in as many jurisdictions across America. <laughs> Not nationally, but in many jurisdictions it's happening. And it may and in almost a lot of jurisdictions over in Europe, like the UK, they have mass mandates too. Lack of private health care, and that's status quo for many places. Uh in Europe, uh, in Canada, and and even in America, in some instances, although there's there's a little bit more leeway here. Or even though we have a terribly managed government-run healthcare system, there's still health private healthcare. But still, my point is, the system will preserve the status quo. If you want to actually make change, go outside of the government, go outside of the voting voting booth. Don't actually don't even go into the voting booth in the first place, and go make change on your own. That's what I'm saying to you, people. So the question that we entered this podcast with was, how does the election system, the electoral system, impact our perceptions of the world? Well, very simply, it makes us think there's only one way to change. But in all reality, there's more ways than you can measure to actually impact this world positively. More things than you can imagine, my friends. That is beautiful. That is what should inspire you. That is what should push you forward to greatness. Not the prospect of getting your guy in the White House. Although, again, if Biden wins, that's a terrifying prospect. And I won't be the first person to admit that. I, I That would be just like if Clinton had won back in 2016. That would have been a terrifying prospect. I'll be the first person to admit it. It's terrifying absolutely horrendous so votes do matter insofar as they keep the status quo from getting worse but they don't matter insofar as they actually impact the status quo and move the needle forward move the needle forward to something different that is indeed the primary issue that we need to talk about when it comes to voting
when it comes to our election system. All right, guys, we've got about a minute left. I want to thank you so much for watching the Pins and Politics program. Again, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Twitter, uh, all of the all of it. Well, it's not, not well. Yeah, subscribe on Twitter too. So Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everything. You just type in Pins and Politics, it'll come up. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, type in Pensive Politics, type in Official C. Watson or Pensive Politics. Either one of them will bring up my, um, my, my handles at Official C. Watson. On YouTube, type in Christian Watson. I'll come up. You'll see my beautiful face there, smiling. Subscribing helps me help you. And if you help me help you, I can keep giving you good content. I can keep doing, I can keep, I can, my dreams can come true. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening to us. As always, my friends, please stay pensive.